Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the E3 Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to the E3 Podcast. This week, Travis, who you guys all know and love, wanted to come on the podcast and flip the script and ask me questions about my current remodel. So welcome, Travis. What would you like to know? Well, Emily, we have uh, we have developed a, a nice friendship since we've been working together. Even though we've never physically met in person, I feel like we have a good rapport, and I generally kind of know what's going on with you and Frank, and you kind of know what's going on with Tara and my kids. And so, I've been thinking a lot about your remodel lately because I know that you started a project, and then there were some changes, and there might have been a setback, and then there might have been more changes, and there might have been some scope creep. And I just thought, well. I feel like we should be talking more about that because in your position and mine, we both have to put ourselves in our client's position frequently in order to do a better job for them. We have to be sympathetic to their situation. And I bet it's very easy for you under these existing conditions to be particularly sympathetic to your clients. So I kind of wanted to have you walk us through, tell us first, what project did you decide to undertake at your home? And then let's talk about how you ended up where you are now and where we're going to be when it's all done. Where, what did you start doing and when? <laughs> okay. So what was the plan? Uh, <laughs> so because we couldn't travel much in 2020, we decided we still needed to take some vacation time and we were going to work on some projects at our house. So we bought our house in December of 2018. Um, it's an existing house. And I often love to joke about this. Um, you don't want to go to the architect or the builder's house. It's like the cobbler's shoes, right? This is where we experiment on everything that we're going to do at our house, where we live through, uh, interesting things. We always seem to buy something that's existing, right? Uh, I made Frank look at 52 houses before I found one I was willing to live in. And I was like, this house has great flow. It just needs to be updated to our style and um, it's on the water. So, you know, anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I'm all about environmental awareness and that I wanted to live on the water, but I don't want to develop another house in the water. I wanted to have something that was existing. There's just not more waterfront that's appearing. So, uh, so we bought an existing house that wasn't to our taste and had just, you know, was built in the seventies. So it just had some things that were slowly over time going to need to be updated, upgraded, et cetera. And so we're like, okay, that's fine. So what the project started out as we had a wood stove, um, on our kitchen side. So my house is an L shape and you come in the, from the garage door and you enter the kitchen dining room. And then there was a room, uh, it was probably about eight by 10 room between my kitchen and my living room. And you could walk around it on, on all of the sides. So it was just like a big block, a la Frank Lloyd Wright, the hearth, the middle thing, you know, it had this big circle. And so on the dining room and kitchen side, there was a wood stove from the seventies in a kind of cool half round little brick nook. And on the living room side, there was a disconnected gas fireplace that had been taken out of through the roof, but the unit itself was, was still there. And when we started taking it apart, we 
kind of figured out why I think it had some kind of malfunction looked like it had a little bit of flame roll out. I don't know. It was kind of scary. It also was still turned on to the gas when we moved in. So the first thing I did was turn the gas off uh, when we moved in and then we disconnected the gas line altogether um, when we took it out. And the plan was because we hang out in our living room um, more so than in our kitchen, but we have windows all along our living room kitchen side of our house that look out towards the water. So when we would run the wood stove, it would warm up the kitchen but it didn't circulate around to the living room very well. So the plan was to take some of my own advice and to put in a zero clearance EPA rated, um, you know, outdoor air direct to the firebox, wood stove, wood burning appliance on the living room side and then shrink up the box so that it was not quite as big so that we could get a little bit of extra space in our dining room, which was a little tight. Gotcha. Um, so there was a built-in that was there um, from the original that I liked. It was really nice and I wanted to keep it. And so that was part of the reason why we were just going to put the, the wood stove fire burning made in Canada because they're better at it than we are. Uh, back into that location and leave the opening there. Um, and one of our friends is a contractor and he came up to spend the week with us. And it was supposed to be a relatively simple project because we were just, <laughs> just shrinking the box. Right there. Every project ever begins. Well, this is going to be really simple. It's well, I mean, and I it's knew it wasn't going to be totally <laughs> simple, but the, the scope was not to be that large. So right. Um, well, I mean, I guess in, in a, in a way I knew I was going to take down all of the bricks and I did take them apart one at a time, salvaged all the bricks so that we can use them, um, for another project. But in theory, the insert would have fit where the gas fireplace was. So we had already bought the fireplace, right? We did at least plan ahead far enough that it would be in, in time for the week that we decided to take off. The well, one like, week, the one week you decided to take off, correct? The one week. Got it. <laughs> I mean, Just, we I knew to... we would have more finished stuff to do after that week, sure. but we, while we had our contractor, we wanted to do the things that you really shouldn't do on your own, right? Like right. holes in the roof and re-roofing stuff and, you know, all that good stuff. So, you know, sure. those things, things that really legally should be done by your contractor, those things. And there were three of us working um and we had done some of the demo beforehand i had already started on the demo before that week and so uh that was the plan was just some smaller minor modifications and if people saw it on instagram it was also to cover the hole in the ceiling because you know that was a that was a big old air leak right there so yeah so it was, was about four foot by four foot it yeah it was leak. like three by four foot so okay. it, it was it was it was a big hole it yeah. was inside that block so it wasn't just like directly open but that block wasn't exactly air sealed there was a door you could go in the room like you could go in behind the fireplace you could go in behind the wood stove like it was like its own little room in there yeah um and so so yeah so 
So the plan was to get some of the major stuff done, like, you know, mud, sand, paint, all that stuff. Yeah. We knew we would be doing that afterwards, but we wanted sure. to kind of get the, the major block done. And that was the plan, the right. original so, plan. So your contractor was going to help you. You had already done the brick. You'd pulled down most of the brick. Most of the demolition that you planned to do was pretty well done. At that time, the contractor was going to help you with the electric, the gas plumbing. Is that right? The elimination of the gas. Yeah. And then, and then the drywall patching. And then that was kind of his thing. And then you were going to wrap it up after that, right? Yeah. Well, so, so yeah, so that was the plan. Right. Um, he did show up early enough and we actually had another friend that came over that was helping with demo. And uh, okay. here's how this went. <laughs> Wait a minute. It didn't go according to plan. Hold on a second. Nothing ever goes according to plan, even Emily's best laid plans. So let's back up a step. I have both a 3D model, an energy model and CAD plans of my house to get to. This is what we're going to do. And there were probably 15 iterations of what the fireplace plus mantle plus whatever would look like, even though it was pretty much just going back in the hole that it was in. <laughs> right. Yeah. But there were measurements. It was laid out. It was printed out. It was taped to the wall. It plan was, was ready. It was ready to go. And my engineering husband thought the plan was final. Luckily, my contractor buddy who is one of my husband's childhood friends and who I've worked with a number of times over the years and who we all adore, knew that wasn't going to be the case. And I mean, I kind of did too, but I knew there were, could be some possibilities, things we might run into that might change it because every time and part of the reason why architects and builders charge more on renovations is you can't see it. And when you take it apart, you have no idea what you'll find. Yeah. So I had most of the brick down and I had, uh, it was like this concrete stone, interesting surround on the gas fireplace. So I had that kind of taken apart uh, till he got there. Um, and we took down some of the, there were like bookshelves and some other things that were kind of built into it, but I wanted to keep the built-in, but it needed to move over. So my husband says, yeah, I don't think there's any way we're going to be able to move this. And I'm like, okay, we're not taking it down. It built. Yeah. We're not taking it down until Matt gets here. And then our friend Jer showed up the day before and he was helping with more demo. And he's like, yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to save this. I was like, we are not taking this down until Matt says we have to. Matt's our contractor. Gotcha. Matt shows up, look, takes one look at it, says we can't save this M and whacks it with a sledgehammer. And that was what that happened. Done. <laughs> now, granted, obviously a contractor in a real world with a client would not have gone quite to, to that, but he's, he's our friend, right? And so yeah. he knew he had the final say and he was like, nope. This, perfect it's built in place we literally can't move this and i was like okay and at that point i think i was already kind of on board because we had taken some other things down and everything was nailed in place with like four inch nails in like the i mean there were so many nails like i just i can't even fathom how many nails there were in the way this thing was framed 
Um, it is good we took it down because when we took it down, we discovered there were floor joists that were cut. So we fixed those and we figured out they were trusses that were cut. So we fixed those too. So those were surprises that we just didn't exactly anticipate uh, on that. Um, so your structural built-in that you so had my, to remove. So my structural <laughs> built-in uh, needed some attention. So that was good that we. That did was the that. first change that from was, the original plan. That was the first change from the okay. original plan is that we took it down. Now we could have just rebuilt it in place once we fixed sure. the structural issues. Yeah. And we all stood in the area. And I said, convince me to put it back, guys, because we now have an open concept between our living room, kitchen and dining room. And I kind of want to change my mind now, like convince me to put it back up because that was the plan and that would have been the easy plan. And it's way better as an open concept. (laughs) Yes. So. Which I, I knew right. in my head, in plan, obviously. And uh, Mike Maines has been to my house and, and also said, yeah, when I came to visit and I knew you were going to work on a project, I didn't say anything, but I thought, boy, wouldn't that have been great if it was an open concept? And I was like, it's funny you didn't say something because I, you know, but the plan was very, you know, w- was small. And I actually didn't hate the room. And it's, mm-hmm. it's 52 feet from one side to the other. So it's kind of a long bowling alley worth of space. And I was a little bit concerned because when you, when you open up a space that big, oftentimes your ceiling height needs to be a little bit higher so that it doesn't feel awkward but the space feels proportional um it is okay but it's just border like our our ceiling height is only seven foot two and so it's not it's not overly tall and if it was eight feet it would probably be amazing but it was what we had to work with and i was Mm -hmm. concerned that it was too short but i think it works i I mean i guess i know it works because obviously we live in it it doesn't feel uncomfortable to me it would be interesting for you to come here and see it because you're way taller than i am like we're short so it works for us but if somebody was much taller would it feel like the ceiling is too short yeah you can't have our friend connor malloy over i think he's like six nine i don't think you can let him walk if with if he has boots on as he moves through the travel of his walk he's going to put holes in your freshly finished sheetrock with his head he might be a little too tall well i mean we do have a friend who's six six who's been to our house and never said anything about the ceilings being short he doesn't fit as well in the basement which is kind of an interesting thing well, I found <laughs> that's that... where all of our guest rooms are but gotcha I found that exceedingly tall people just move through the world in a different way because they're used to not wanting to hit their head on things. And so, you know, they slouch and slump a little bit and they stand up slowly and look for the light fixtures. And I think that everyone, everyone adapts. It's fine. But it is interesting to me that you did exactly what everyone does, who it doesn't go away. So if you, we, our company does a ton of remodeling and we can move much faster through a project when people move out of the remodel rather than living in the remodel, not just because we skip all the time of like cleaning up at the end of the day, 
we don't have to clean up to be dust free when we're going to come back and cut boards in the morning. And we don't have to worry about safety as much. But when they live in the house and you have to do that, you waste a bunch of time. But the real reason that you spend a lot less time doing it is they don't change anything if they're not there to see what's going on. <laughs> They've decided on a plan and they leave it alone. But if you're there and at the end of the day, every day you walk into the space, you go, oh, I can have all this. Look at all this space. And then they fall in love with open concept. I also have a theory that architects and builders and maybe a couple of like hardwood floor guys like open concept. And then who doesn't like open concept? People that are decorators, people that like finishes. They're like, where am I going to put my furniture? I can't do the furniture in here. Everything has to float. I've got to have a sofa back table. I've got to have this. This island has to have a different finish on this side. So as soon as you start into that, and of course your tradesmen hate open concept. because they're like, well, that's cute. Where am I supposed to put my wire? Where's my switch going to go? How am I going to get this plumbing bent out? What do you want me to do? I can't do anything. I don't have any walls. So it's interesting to me that you who understand this stuff as your profession went in and were like, oh, of course, let's change the plan after we've already invested in the plan for 15 iterations, schematic, 3D model, sat down with Frank, brought in your contractor friends, bounced it off Mike Mains, and then, nope, change the plan. Built-in's gone, here's the new plan, open concept, here we go. So. There is so much truth to that. And there's also a lot of really good planning. If you are actually good at open concept, you can make it work. So oh, yeah. here is what happened. It was very easy. Uh, so as part of all of the renovation that I've planned for this house, I'm obviously going to, as things reach the end of life, swap them out for more environmental things etc. Longer lifespan, whatever. And one of those things was we have an oil boiler. That's very traditional in Maine to have an oil boiler. And I wanted to put in heat pumps. So the previous plan would have had a great wall space on our dining room side to have a heat pump that blew towards our kitchen and above where our couch was that looked back at the block there would have been room to put a heat pump uh, on, on that wall as well to handle kind of our main space but when we took out all the walls then we had to get more creative because I told you our ceiling is only seven foot two right so it's not like there's room above mm. our windows or doors like there's there's a header up there and that's it and like there's no extra space right and um, we have one section of wall that Frank had sort of identified as the location for his fish tank, which I. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hold on a second. There's always <laughs> there's always an element in everyone's house that is kind of the curveball that it's the wrench in the works that, oh, well, we have to design around this. And usually it's like, oh, this is my grandmother's. Victrola stand and it's it touches my heart to have this piece of furniture it reminds me of the happiest time in my youth and the it needs to sit in this vignette in this little inset window or it's you know oh well you know I I my grandfather built this coffee table and we're gonna there's always like an element or it's something obnoxious like oh well, that's where my kegerator is gonna go and or I've designed a bathroom around a urinal before like because the guy wanted a urinal and the wife was like, I absolutely wanted to have a urinal because I don't want to clean up after him. 
and he seems to be able to use that without as much mess. So by all means, give the man a urinal. We've always got one of those things on the job. And I love that Frank was like, well, here we go. We're doing the remodel. Where's my fish tank going? Yeah. That's Everybody's got ball. something. I, I mean, yeah. every project has some interesting something. And uh, in Tight our constraints case, make for good design. In our case, it is a saltwater tank, fish tank. Um, we are scuba divers. We love to go do all of that stuff. And this is a hobby that he enjoys. Um, when on our, in our house in Auburn, we had the fish tank up and we had a bunch of really great things. Unfortunately, saltwater tanks don't travel well. So we took the tank down. We didn't put it up in our house in New York. And we sort of put the tank up a little bit to start cycling it. So you need to give it time for the sand and everything else to, to uh, acclimate, to get the pH and everything in the tank. Right. Except for we have some interesting flooring that we inherited that we knew we were going to take out. And I was like, before you get all into this and get stuff set up or whatever, like we're going to have to do flooring. And so he decided that it wasn't time yet. Right. But so we had this plan. And so um, he had a location, right. It was one of the only sections that we have where we could put the fish tank where it wouldn't get light sort of directly onto it. Cause it was like backed up to, to, uh, and that's but, important because the heat from the sun would throw the tank temperature off and the fish would die, right? Is that why that matters? Throws the tank temperature off, grows algae and stuff. Okay. Um, you know, all kinds of things can happen with direct sunlight. So you want to control what's going on inside the tank with your LED lights and your water system. You don't okay. want the tank to be absorbing all the other natural sunlight because then you just have to do more work with it. So understood. So we had a fish tank location, right? which is, I was thinking at the time, the prime location that our heat pump contractor was going to say, this is uh, where the heat pump should go. But as you know, a lot of times heat pumps during heating season push the heat to the floor, right? So they point down and they push the heat down. Well, we can't have, first of all, it's probably just not a good idea for it to be above the fish tank because it might get too much moisture in it anyway. Mm. Um but also we can't have it pushing and blowing air directly onto the fish tank either. Right. Cause you can't blow onto it. Right. So, so that there's all sense. these logistics with the fish tank. And so unfortunately Frank couldn't be here when the heat pump guy was coming um, mm -hmm. to, to meet with me. And so we had to have a whole conversation about where the heat pumps might go and what they would do and where we could put them. Um, before Frank left so that I was prepared for what I needed to talk to, to Bo about. Um, in which case we actually came up with a better location for the fish tank, which works in so many different ways. And we're not putting the heat pump on the wall where he previously planned to put the heat pump because we're going to actually locate it above a bookshelf that we have. And okay. It will have direct access straight outside to the compressor because the most efficient way and the easiest way to deal with ever having any line loss or refrigerant losses is to have one heat pump head for one compressor and for them to basically be back to back. 
So I managed to line it up so it works. The heat pumps end up in a part of our yard that people can't see where we don't have windows and aren't adjacent to any of the bedroom spaces on the lower level. And because we'll have to do siding in five years and I want to add exterior wood fiber board siding and strapping, et cetera, when we get to it, we will eventually be able to hide the line sets in the wall. So slick uh, for now. Our, my heating contractor said, you know what? Your siding's tan. We can probably get it in off white so they don't stand out as well. And I was like, this is perfect. So, yeah. um, so, so that was, that was really awesome. But back to the open concept part is in the furniture, we actually built a half wall so that we could put our couch up against something and have electrical so that we could have wiring for the couch and the uh people should go watch the lighting shows by david warfel when you're talking about multi-level lighting and where the light actually is and you don't want to sit on the couch and have it at your head and i don't want any more holes in the ceiling so you know we have a one-story house and i don't want any holes into my attic space so i don't want to put in you know a bunch of stuff in the ceiling of the house and so Uh, We built a half wall that our couch fits up against. And then this was the interesting part. Um, We somehow, and I don't remember who or how exactly this came about. We built a countertop on the backside of the half wall. So there are stools that you can sit at at the counter on the backside of the couch. It sits up higher the wall is higher than where the counter depth is so that there can be an outlet on the counter as well and so that people don't drop their food or drink or whatever over the edge and onto the couch or onto people on the couch and so now you can sit at the counter and watch tv or the fireplace in the new located built-in which was where our couch used to be because we already owned this fireplace that was going to go that's right Oh. <laughs> into the space yep. which we now have the fireplace to... is the other fish tank by the way in this story the fish the fire... tank the it's the same it's another element that has to be designed around well we already have the fireplace we have to use the fireplace time to redesign we exactly so we already had the fireplace we had to redesign we flip-flopped it around so now you can actually see the tv from the kitchen we have a non-combustible mantle we have a little thing on top of it because it's always like don't put tv over the fireplace it's not an open fireplace it actually has a blower so it pushes the heat out into the room it doesn't uh and uh timeline right pause for a second here I told you we ordered the fireplace in time for it to be here for our remodel. The oh, I like where this is headed. Bulk of the fireplace showed up, but not all the chimney pieces, which is what you really need when you need to put a hole in your roof. Yes. And uh, the rain cap didn't show up. So you don't want to just put it up there and let it rain in that either. <laughs> and the blower didn't show up. So there was no way to wire it because we weren't sure what we were supposed to be wiring because the blower wasn't here with any of the instructions of how it might fit in there. And the blower, we did this remodel in March, the first week of March. The blower did not show up until the end of April. So perfect timing. 
finished fireplace install project could not be finished being installed until the blower could come. So like no tile on the fireplace, the mantle wasn't put up, the sheetrock isn't finished, like couldn't do any of that stuff because we didn't know what we were going to have to do with the fireplace for the wiring. And we needed to be able to still get it back out if we had to. So that was the pause timeout, the extra length of time. Um, That's an important pause timeout because essentially you're describing what everyone who's doing a project in the pandemic era is experiencing. You, you best laid plans. Oh oh yeah. I ordered the windows. We cut the roughens to spec. The windows aren't coming. We're going to have to get a different window package. Oh, well, the roughens are already set. Well, we're going to have to furl those in. We're going to have to change our window package because we can't get those windows anymore. The lead time's too long. The, the equipment for the heating and cooling system isn't available. So we're going to shift and redesign. And you're getting the exact same experience with your fireplace that you have part of, but not the crucial elements. So you are you are hand in glove with what our clients are going through as we move through these challenging times. You are living just exactly right down the same path as them. Yes. And I would say it's a little bit hard in the pandemic, right? To ask people to move out, but I would definitely do that. If you don't want to dust it, then move it out. (laughs) Yep. Because it doesn't matter how good you are at blocking things off, taping them off, keeping things closed, how many times you cover them, there will be sheetrock dust inside closed things forever. Correct. So we had a second week planned to be off to continue the remodel, which um, continues like this. And I don't know if it's a, a main thing or if this is kind of everywhere in the country, but nobody comes in my front door. Like, Nobody comes in my front door. They always come in my garage if the garage door is open, which is fine. I don't know. That's pretty normal. Or they come around the back. And even though they go around the back and they realize there's a screen porch there, they still often come in my screen porch and up to the sliding door. It's interesting. I don't know. I feel like when you pull in my driveway, it does kind of indicate that you you go that direction because there's like steps to come up onto the porch, which then goes into the screen porch. But you have to drive in front of my house first so you can kind of see the the walkway to the front, to the front yeah. door. Because you, you can't, it's a dead end road, so you can't get to my house any other way than to drive past the front of it. But still, it's very rare that people come in the front door. And so when we took out the built-in that I wanted to salvage, we decided that the front hall closet for the door that no one ever uses is a great place to recreate the built-in. So no. two. So the built-in is going to be reconstructed in a new location that requires additional demo. And this determination was made before or after drywall was complete on the open concept revision. After drywall was complete, before we mudded any of it. So drywall was up, no mud and tape yet. Okay. Well, it's not a total ridiculous scope disaster. You know, no terrible redundancies. It's okay. So we had another week planned, and it happened to be the last week of April, which happened to coincide with when the blower did actually show up. And so we thought that 
we could manage some of these things because essentially we thought, well, we're going to take off the closet doors, which by the way, were very cool 1970s bypass mirrored doors. Ooh, nice. Which, yes, stylistically were um, not great. But when the block was there, it was actually nice because you could sit in the living room and you could see what people were doing in the kitchen because there were mirrors there. So it served a really good purpose at the time that was no longer necessary because now you can just see the kitchen. But we took off the doors and I was like, well, this is going to be a built-in. So we should cut back the ends so that it just is like two end walls. Right. Okay. And, um, the previous owners, I think had, had built this closet in, I'm thinking it didn't exist in the original scheme. I think the original house was not an L shape. It was just like a ranch shape and they built on the kitchen and the garage. And so when they yeah. kind of redid where the kitchen was, they put in a front hall closet. Cause you know, people usually have front hall closet closet. Yeah. So we, we cut it back so that it's just uh, two end walls that stick out so that we could put in built-in cabinetry and shelving and stuff. But the sheetrock was in kind of rough shape. So we were like, well, we're going to take off the side parts because they're, they're really in rough shape. And then I was like, I think we need to take the ceiling down too, because I'm not sure what's going on in the ceiling. Turned out there were two layers of ceiling in the ceiling. So we took down the first layer and the two side walls. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. So we had gone and we had gotten sheetrock to do that. And then it wasn't really working out. We had some really interesting, um, as Bob coined it when he saw pictures, improvisational framing in the wall. (laughs) And then we were trying to figure out what was going on on the backside. And we originally weren't going to take the sheetrock off the back of the closet. And then we were like, we kind of need to know what's going on back here because we can't figure out where the studs are. Yeah. So then we took the sheetrock off the back, which meant we had to go buy more sheetrock because we didn't have enough because we didn't plan for that. Right. And so uh, we took the sheetrock off the back. Turns out we have two by three studs that are 10 inches, 11 and a half, 10 inches, 10 and three quarters and six inches. So we never would have figured it out without a stud finder where the studs were. Right. I don't mean, I don't even know. Like, I'm not even sure why we have centers. (laughs) No idea. That's bizarre. I don't even know why there were so many in there, but then we decided to figure out where we were going to put our shelving and put blocking in since we had taken the sheetrock off. Might as well. You might at this point, you might as well. So, um, so, so we, we had that plan and we were originally going to put three cabinets in and a wine rack. And then we changed our mind and decided to put a fourth cabinet in, but then the, the, we had two, we had three of the same size cabinets. We had to take one back and get two smaller cabinets so that fit in, in there. And so the project's uh, going smoothly is what you're saying. It's basically it's going, the bash of efficiency. It's going great. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, when you started talking about your buried centers, uh, 10 and three quarters, 10 and a half, six on your two by threes. Do you happen to remember the uh, Canadian DIY show Homes on Homes? Yes. Okay. We had a long running joke in our company after watching that show for a number of years. And it, 
honestly, I shouldn't have called it a DIY show. That's a legitimate contractor doing legitimate work and a lot of it really good work and really helping people. So I don't mean to dismiss that's not a, hey, I stapled some flowers to the wall show. This right. is a legitimate construction operation. Nothing to the contrary was intended. However, that show almost without fail for several seasons that I watched, Mike would come in to look at some clients, how prospective clients home. And there would be the, the DIY moment where he punches a hole in the wall with his fist, which of course is not how anyone does demo, but then he would tear back the drywall and invariably find a, a, a concealed junction, which is an electrical code violation right. and should not be allowed. Or he would find uh, a stud that had been overcut by more than two thirds of its dimension, which is also a code violation. And he would find two or three things and without fail, there'd be the interview of him in the driveway going, well, how can I trust it now? I have to take it all down. And so it would be like a bathroom remodel. And then two shows later, they're leveling the entire back half of the house. It's all going to get built up new. And I'm not naive. I understand that there are sponsors at work here and things are being paid for. But for years in our company, every time we found anything, like I would find a cracked switch plate and I'd turn to Joe and go, cracked switch plate. How can I trust it? Take it all down. And that's what I thought of when you were mentioning your two by threes. I was like, oh, how can you trust it? You got to take it all down, Emily. You just got to bulldoze the house at that point and create your entire new plan of open concept living around this built-in that's not built in anything, but it's all new. It's brand new. It's perfect. Well, that was the, that was the funny part because originally we were thinking like, we're not going, we're, we're just, we're not going to take a bunch of this stuff down. But we should have known better because we took down the other part <laughs> and we yeah. knew how that was put together. The established pattern that revealed itself led so you it to additional discovery. Been pretty obvious what was going on. Right, uh, right. Or that we, I mean, it, or what, that we were going to find something, right? We, we we right. should have known that that was that was a likelihood. And it's funny that you bring up electrical because that was one of the things that has been really interesting in our house is that all of the outlets in our house were wired backwards or not grounded. So we have since rewired basically every outlet. Um, but when we took down uh, when we took down the the pieces, it took us a while to figure out where the electrical went mm -hmm. we had one that was a light that was over top of the built-in right so that you could turn on that light see what was in the built-in sure the light switch was actually inside the bottom part of the built-in so you had to open the cabinet door and turn on the light switch yeah um, which is actually good because it was really inconvenient so, <laughs> so you never did it <laughs> so we didn't turn it on very frequently because when we got to that there was an eight inch whip of wire that stuck out the end of the box in the attic that was not connected to anything nor did it have any wire nuts on it or anything so every time someone turns that light on with a live wire in the attic that was not connected to anything so you know those are those are the moments when you go oh how'd the house not burn down and I'm really glad that I that I didn't you know and I just 
and that's one of the things where I'm, and part of the reason why we say like, you know, you have to work with professionals and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm glad that some people can do homeowner remodels. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, HGTV and some of those shows make it look really easy and really attainable. Um, well, they and, always wrap it up in 30 minutes. Everything's well, a 30 right. Minute and, and showing you the beautiful stuff at the end is, is, you know, that's kind of the fun part, right? That's a, of course what you get to see is, you know, if you don't do sheetrock every day, you either have to be the most patient person, right? Because you're going to do extra coats and extra sanding to get it to look good. Mm-hmm. And that is attainable. It is definitely something that a homeowner could do themselves. It's not, it's not rocket science, but it will be the one thing that never looks good if you don't do it well. So it's often something that we recommend to people to, to have somebody mud and tape it. You can do your own painting. You can always paint over it if it doesn't look good, you know, whatever. <laughs> mud and tape, if you're not any good at it, will never look good, you yeah. know? So, um, Apparently I have a lot of patience, as I told you right before, <laughs> right before we started, uh, before we started recording, uh, our friend, who's the contractor, uh, instead of me convincing him to buy a 10 foot sheet of drywall and just re drywalling the whole ceiling, we cut in the piece that where the hole was missing and, uh, then ended up with a whole bunch of just weird little holes in the ceiling that then had to be patched. And it sort of was the joke that it's okay because Emily's going to be the one that's doing the patching of that. And now I'm sort of kicking myself for not just saying, no, put nope. up a clean sheet of sheetrock. I will tape the, the perimeter. Instead um, of a 28 linear foot of tape, taped yeah. joint to finish in sand, you have probably 60 lineal feet of one foot patch, six inch patch, nine inch patch, 18 inch patch. And it adds up and it's the same amount of area, but it's not, it's a lot more work. It's a lot more work. So in theory, I would tell people to move out. I would tell them, unless you're the most patient person in the world and you can live in the sheetrock dust for weeks, because I mean, honestly, right. We all have full-time jobs. Like we took a week off. We knew we wouldn't get it done, but we were thinking like, okay, there's going to be some things we have to do. Like you have to paint in an evening. That's not that, but it's not a big area. There's not that much, you know, that you could do, but if you don't get it done, you have to kind of live with that every time. And you have to cover everything every time. And for us, we created an open concept, which means it's open to my living room. It's open to my kitchen. It's open to everything else. And it also, you talked earlier about scope creep. And so we were just doing the small built in, right? We were leaving it there. We're making the block a little bit smaller. We knew we'd have kind of some odd places in the floor because we were going to make it a little bit smaller. We're like, whatever, we can deal with that. Well, when you take out an eight by 10 room, you now have a whole section of floor that has no flooring at all, (laughs) but because we want to do um, heat pumps, we don't want to put the flooring down until the boiler comes out so that we can take out the baseboards because we have to go around, right? So now we have to do flooring sooner than later because, and we have to do the heat pumps sooner than later. Um, But in true Emily fashion, the solution to this is to roll out an eight by 10 rug over top of this kind of odd spot in the floor so that you don't have to look at the plywood. 
That's nice. That is that is what I did. That was the solution to the problem. But of course, the table can't quite fit there because one chair is like <laughs> down <laughs> off the side. So the table's kind of in an odd spot. So, you know, there's the, the level of frustration on that. And we went from just having to, you know, tape and mud the block from where we had to taping and mudding the the counter and new half wall taping and mudding the new area where the fireplace went uh patching the hole in the ceiling um and now we have taken apart the closet and so now we have resheet rocked taped and mud the whole closet area and we have to do flooring and we have to do heat pumps so we can do the flooring <laughs> And then we started with let's save this built-in and use this fireplace. Let's take pull the, the brick. Yeah. Let, let's that's where you started. That's that's where we started. And that is how scope creep happens because you touch one thing. And I do want to point this out. And, and I knew this going into it, and I knew this was a possibility. I was totally prepared for it. Frank was probably less prepared for it than I was. Um about the whole scope creep or whatever. But one thing that we try to always tell our clients is if you're taking something out and it becomes part of the next room, you're not just touching the room that you're in. Right. So you can't, you can't just kind of evaluate like, well, it's just this one wall. Well, that one wall has two sides and now it's this room and I can't just do this part because now it doesn't match this part. And these two things are in the same room. So there, there are still some kind of odd things between where our kitchen ended and where our living room ended. And so now there's kind of an odd post on the wall that is like kind of halfway in between. It's not really in the kitchen or really in the living room. And it's like, from a design perspective, I can't decide what I'm going to do with it. So I'm just going to leave it there for right now. The solution (laughs) will come to you. The wall paneling in the living room ends at that post. So then there's no paneling in the kitchen, which is actually this beautiful real wood board paneling. Okay. So it's like, do I want paneling in my kitchen? Will I continue this through there? Or will I create something that makes this make sense? Like, will I move the post over to the end of the window so that it lines up with where the new half wall is? So it's like, it's all in the living room, right? So that's a future project that I just refuse to think about right now. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so that's that's where that one stands. But It's very much a, if you touch it, you bought it as you walk through the house. Yes. Oh, this touches that? Well, now we bought that too. And right. then that touches this which means now we're into that room. And oh, this was the only part of the house that had this color in it. So now none of these colors make sense. And also with the flooring transition, well, now we have to refinish all of this. And it's that kind of thing that just makes a simple project devastatingly expensive for a Mm -hmm. lot of people. And it's very easy after doing this for a long time, as you have, and as I have, to walk in and see it before they even start they start talking about, oh, it's a simple project. I would do it myself if I had the time. Uh, I have, my brother would come over and he could do the tile and it would be, but we just need someone who can get it done quick. I'm like, that's not me. Yeah. And that's not that project. By the way, you're going to be doing all of this if you touch that. And it's, 
it's not about being, you know, nasty or trying to, you know, hurt someone's dreams. I wanted to get what they want. And I know that's what you want. When you started this, you really did just want the new fireplace and the built-in and the brick down. That's it. But and now if, you get all this. And if I was doing this for a client, I would have entertained the option of, do you want an open concept? Do we want to take it down? And we would have tried to figure it out on paper and we would have done a 3D and we would have walked through all that because it was my own house. I was like, okay, we're just going to do, do this. And so in some ways, we would have visited all of this stuff and had all of these discussions beforehand. It doesn't, as you know, make up for somebody coming onto the job site and standing in the space. There's nothing that's the same as standing in the space. And it's one of the reasons why like, we'll do an electrical plan, but we put in our contract that they have to walk through the built space with the electrician because yeah. it's all well and good to kind of think about how you might use the space in a 2d plan, but it's not the same as physically walking in the space and going, Oh yeah. When I come in here, I want to turn the light on. Oh, like that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that was the one regret that I had, uh, with my parents. Um, so I was living in Maine and my parents live in Pennsylvania and they were doing a remodel and, um, I didn't, walk them through the electrical because I thought my dad would be able to, to do that. And I guess he just didn't really think about it. And so he's, he's got banks of switches in odd places that turn things on and they did their remodel in 2013. And I go to their house at least once a year and I still don't know where to turn any of the lights on and off. Yes. Like, I wander around their house, not in the dark, but just like turning everything on till I finally figure out which is the right one. Yeah, I think that's a classic uh, homeowner blunder of, yeah. well, I want to have a master control area where I can turn all these things off as I'm walking out of the room. And what happens is, I honestly, I try not to ever have more than a two gang. If I have a three gang, I can live with it, but it's usually like in a bathroom where you wanted the sconce to be your nightlight and you wanted to have the bath fan separate from the overhead lighting. And then I'm like, or okay, in the kitchen, the if you've got like under cabinet lighting and you've got a garbage disposal and you've got a, you know, like there are right. a couple of places where it makes sense everywhere else. It does not make sense ever. One is best Two, you can work with three is trouble. And it almost always seems to happen like at the, the confluence of the living room or great room, dining room, kitchen. There's always that one corner and they're like, oh, let's just put them all in here. I'm like, you're not going to like that. <laughs> I'm going to have to put a dimmer on just the dining room so that you know which one it is. And then when you come in here, you're going to go, oh, I wanted this on a dimmer. I'm like, but if I make them both dimmers, you're never going to remember which one and you're going to do them both. And I'm telling you this because I always have to come back in and separate it out because my parents whose house I built, Joe and I built my folks house, I think 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. They, I think just two years ago, finally went and took a Sharpie and wrote on the switch plate because we have a three gang at the top of the stairs and a three gang at the bottom. And my parents are smart people. <laughs> they can count to way more than three and they have pattern recognition and still they had to label it. And when I come over, I also turn on the wrong one. I'm like, Damn it. what can you do? You just, yeah. you got to simplify. And I totally think that's a great idea to put it in your contract that they have to walk through it. We do that anyway. I don't have it contractually obligated, but that's that's always part of our process. And what I've always wanted to do, and I've never quite had the stones to do it, is be like, 
okay, I'm going to take you on a magical journey through your house. You're about to walk into your master bedroom, close your eyes, take a step forward and turn on the light and open your eyes and then watch their hand to where it goes. Be like, that's where I'm going to put the switch. Ooh, I, I haven't done it yet because it seems super hokey and I'm afraid I'll get laughed off the job site and they'll fire me as their builder. So like this guy smokes peyote in the trailer instead of building our house. What is going on with this man? You got to do it. You can't be afraid of that stuff. You should hear some of the stuff that Patrice says. I I love her and the clients love her and the yeah. subcontractors love her. It's like that's the stuff that people enjoy. It kind of adds a little bit of the silly to it, right? Because it's stressful, especially until you get to electrical, right? They put a lot of money into something, but oh, yeah. it is interesting. Uh, another electrical point from this remodel um, was interesting how things were wired and where things were wired to. And so <laughs> it ended up so that our dining room light fixture needed to be wired to the kitchen lights but you know the dining room light fixture always hangs down lower than everything else right because it's usually directly over the table well it's it's too low so that when you're now that it's all open to the kitchen when you're sitting at the tv if the kitchen lights are still on and the dining room light is on because there was no other wiring to this spot. It was a very weird thing, right? Without having to get into a bunch of walls and change everything around. And we're like, we're not going to deal with that right now. Like <laughs> there's enough yeah. other scope creep. Like we'll just leave it on we'll live with the this. kitchen. Like it's dimmable. So it's fine. Um, you know, whatever. Uh, but it was too low. And so if the kitchen lights were on while you're watching TV, the dining room light is in like the center of the TV, Right. And I don't want to say it's like all about TV, but if you're going to watch TV, you don't want this like orb in the center. And so uh, the solution to the problem was actually very interesting. There are now light bulbs that you can control with remotes so we can dim, change the color and turn off just the dining room fixture with a remote. That is the current solution to the dining room fixture problem that eventually we will solve with more electrical when we get to the kitchen, right? Because of course I was like, this house is great. It has perfect flow. And my husband's like, but you want to touch every square inch of it. I was like, I just want to do a couple of things. (laughs) Right. Just a couple of things. The whole house later. Like a whole brand new house later. Yeah. So you're already into major mechanical, you're already into floor, you're already into drywall of essentially the entire main area, which will then be trim and paint, as you mentioned, the baseboard. So you've essentially got a full house gut exclusive of of the kitchen, master bedroom and bathroom. Is that correct? Right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you're already planning the kitchen and the dining room. I am. So as part of, well, the dining room is the part that we're kind of like the dining room table now eventually ends up in this spot that we've been kind of working on. So that was kind of all grouped in the center. So that will kind of all be done. But by opening it up, it allows us to extend the cabinetry in the kitchen. Um, I have a gas range that needs to go. And I want an induction range. But of course, when they... And I, this is another learning point for people. Uh, gas ranges don't need 220 outlets like an electric stove would. 
And so there's not an outlet to put the electric range where the gas range is. And it is in the farthest corner from my panel. So <laughs> the, the plan- Just cancel the car charger and, you know, reroute that to the oven. You'd be fine. Right. <laughs> totally be fine. So the plan is to take our current island, which cabinetry matches the rest of our kitchen and put it on the end. And then we can just build a new island because it doesn't have to match everything else. It doesn't have to be as part of that. But the gas range needs to go. And so we need to put an electric range in and a range hood that vents to the outside. Yes, you do. And I know that my gas range is terrible. And uh, But here, here's Emily admitting on the podcast, I don't cook <laughs> i mean <laughs> I, I can and clearly i do a little bit but the gas range is so poorly calibrated that it takes forever to do anything on it you could turn it on and boil water for 20 minutes and come back and it still won't be boiling so we actually do most of our cooking outside on the gas grill and the smoker which are outside which are perfectly fine and when we use our gas range we open the window even if it's in yeah. the middle of winter time but it needs a permanent solution um that permanent solution is to put in an induction cooktop range whatever and yeah. uh and eliminate the gas because the overall goal would be to remove all the fossil fuels with the exception of the wood burning fireplace insert that we use occasionally could use if the power was out that kind of stuff so i know it doesn't solve christoph just got the blower for. yes the one we just got the blower for <laughs> it doesn't solve christoph's no intentional indoor fires but it gets as close as you can in as safe of a manner as you can i think that's what it's all about you yes. you've got the intent is in the right place you're making progress. That's, I think, all anyone can ask of you. I really think that as much as we have these high aspirations, and we should, because that's that's how you get to, the, that's how you arrive at the destination. You have to want to get there and you have to take the steps, but there is the reality of our local economies and also our personal budgets and also what makes sense in terms of the resources that we have, you know, your gas range is not working well. It makes sense to replace it. I get that. But if it were in good working order, the amount of energy that it takes to resolve this situation is not necessarily offsetting some of the other things. I realize we're talking about indoor air quality as well, but as you already pointed out, you're already addressing that another way. And it's, these are not hard and fast rules. As long as everyone's doing their best, I really think we're probably all going to be okay. Right. Well, and so we knew I had said after we moved here, I don't ever want to move again. So this could be a 30 year project, <laughs> right? Like this will be something that we'll be chipping away at a little bit at a time. 
And yes. someone actually gave me some really great advice recently, which is don't start on the exterior of your house because then you'll constantly be spending money on the maintenance of the exterior. Obviously, if you have to do something because it's failing, you've got to do those things. Um, yeah. But if you start on the exterior of your house and you do landscaping, you do anything else and you're always maintaining that, it takes a lot longer to get to the inside. So I'm working from the inside out on the things that were achievable for us to yeah. do. Um, and uh, another point for us and our long-term goal, um, would be to have solar and the oil boiler, which is from the nineties. Right. So it's, it's, I mean, they weren't supposed to last that long. Right. It's towards the end of its life. We were in the boiler room, uh, you know, yesterday looking at it and the expansion tank is leaking and you know, like it, it's, it's ready. It's, it's at its time. Um, but, uh, so the, uh, the chimney for the oil boiler goes through the center of my south facing roof slope. So in order to put solar on the oil boiler had to go. <laughs> yeah. And there's that Just, scope creep again. <laughs> yes. But the solar isn't going to go on this year or maybe not even for the next five years when we bought this house. Um, the roof, because we live in a coastal area, the roof only had a certain amount of time before it was going to be at end of life. So our plan will actually sure. be to replace the roof when it needs to be replaced and then do solar. Cause we don't want to put solar on and then have to take it off. And, you know, although it could extend yeah. the life of the roof, um, it's not good to put it on a roof. That's going to be at the end of its life in five years. So. This is a, a, a point that I bring up frequently with clients and in my own house, although I'm less listened to at home than at other clients' homes. I find that the most ideal outcome is to squeeze the ever-loving snot, the, the last drop of usefulness out of everything you have. Do not waste what you have. The things that work, let them keep working until they don't work anymore or until they would trigger redundant costs. It's a good, it's a good rule for being, for honoring the resources that we're using. It's right. a good rule for managing your budget as, uh, as tightly as you can comfortably. But, um, there are some, some sacrifices that come with that. You might have mismatched appliances for a period of time, which can be a big deal to some people. And, um, I may or may not be alluding to appliance replacement in my own home with a, a challenging client whom I adore. Uh, I may or may not be discussing that. It's a, it's neither here nor there, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't care less if my appliances match. Yes. I think that. I mean, I think point, if I got to the point and the whole thing was done or whatever, and there wasn't something that was end of its life or whatever, like our refrigerator died last summer. So I was like, well, we got to get a new refrigerator. This is what I want. Right. Right. So, I mean, technically it kind of matches my stove, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Like the dishwasher well, works great. So I, I won't replace that unless I have to. And even when we do the kitchen remodel, we won't do, we won't do uh, anything like the stove has got to go because it doesn't work. And right. But you that's know, like, exactly where we end up. Right. We, and I'm, I'm sure that this is the point in the podcast. You're like, well, this is where I can start cut. 
<laughs> we can edit this out because everybody stopped listening a long time ago. But for, uh, for I mean, maybe they did, but maybe they didn't. They want to hear that we have the same challenges in our own houses, yes. in our own lives that everybody else has on their renovation project. I think that it's good for clients to know that they're in good company and that the things that are challenging them challenge the people who are the very best at it. Uh, and it's just the way things go. It's a reality of our world. Well, and to also know that even when you're a professional in something, there are things that you will be good at and things that you will not be good at and things where we know where our limits lie. Right. Um, and I think yeah. that's the, the one thing on, you know, a homeowner remodel, if they try to do it on their own is they might not know every aspect of what needs to get done. And so you may not know what you don't no until you need help with something right and then right now in our current build environment yeah no you don't know uh <laughs> if uh it, you know if you get to a point then where you need something uh there's nobody available to help there's also i think um and i don't know how it is in your market but we are having a heck of a time finding small contractor who can do oh, small yeah small stuff, right? Because a lot of people are doing big new houses, major renovations and that kind of stuff. And so, so I think homeowners are leaning towards doing their own remodels simply because there isn't anybody else out there to help them. And so hopefully if people are listening to this, they just know that like the pitfalls, pitfall, everybody, <laughs> the scope, yeah, they should the, be encouraged. The scope will company. creep no matter who you are. <laughs> it certainly uh, can, happens to the best of us. You can manage it if you're willing to live with some odd things. Like you said, odd mismatch appliances. I'm actually okay with living with the the rug covering the odd spot in the floor for a while, right? Because, you know, like it just, I can't do X until I do Y. And technically it wasn't supposed to be a big hole in the, I mean, it's not a hole, can't fall through it, but like it wasn't a big hole in the flooring that was missing, right. but it is. And you throw a rug over it and it's, like it's a temporary solution as long as sure. temporary doesn't become 10 years. <laughs> Construction is a linear process and there is. are certain things that must precede other things. And when we discover the thing that we didn't expect, it puts a break in the line. And now you have to restore that linear nature in order to reach the finish line. And that happens on jobs that have the best people on them. It happens on jobs that have just Joe homeowner working on it. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no magic solution to it. Some jobs go really well because they were planned really well. Some jobs go really well in spite of a terrible plan. It, it's a, and some jobs go very poorly, even when they're very well planned. I, I don't think that I just don't, I don't want people to be beat up about this stuff. I want them to be encouraged. And I thought that by asking you about your project, it would be encouraging to you and to your listeners to know that, you know, you got some of the greatest design minds, you've got absolute access to the space and you can make these decisions without pressure. And still you make changes once you open it up because the way that you feel in the space is informed by, oh, we removed the brick. It looks lighter in here. Oh, we removed this. And now we see that we have a framing problem. Now we have an opportunity. The built-in that we designed our space around can't work as a moved item. So now we relocate. Those things happen when you get to be in the space as it's unfolding. And it, it is sort of the organic part of the process that's kind of, I, I don't know, it's kind of the sweet science of building. 
Is that a reach? I don't know. What do you think? No, I think it is. And I think that if we reframe the mentality around it, and, and I always love when you post about this on Instagram too, is, you know, you went to do a window job, you took the window out, the wall was rotten. Like, you know, you thought it was going to be real simple, take the window out, put the window back in, but you found this issue that was on there and you used it as a learning experience for your crew, right? Whatever. But I think instead of, uh, you know, sensationalizing it, like some of the TV shows, like, oh, we opened this up and it's full of rot or whatever. It's like, how can I trust it? When you're doing, <laughs> how can I trust it? Um, it when, you're, when you're doing some of these things, if we start thinking about the fact that, oh, because we have chosen to do this, we've found something that we are now able to solve an issue we didn't know we had before, right? Like we're making it better. We're making it healthier, whatever. Obviously, there'll be a point at which the money runs out because budget seems to always be a thing. You have a certain amount of money. And, you know, if there's something that you really want, maybe you find a way to extend that money. Um, And but there's only a finite amount of it, no matter who you are. Right. And so uh, but solving those issues make it so that hopefully long term you can stay in that house. It's become healthier. You've identified a mold problem that you've solved. And so maybe you have better health is- issues and outcomes afterwards. Um, and so even for us, when originally we were only going to take down part of it or whatever, we had the opportunity to find some cut structure that we were able to fix. Right. And so that made an extended yeah. the longevity of what we had. Was it what we wish we would have found? No. I mean, nobody wants to find an issue, but being able to kind of reframe that issue into like, you know, okay, totally fine. Like what, you know, and that's the one thing I love about our friend who's a contractor. Nothing's ever an issue. He's a pleasure to work with. It's like, Hey, we found this. Uh, we're going to fix this. We're going to header it off and we're going to do this and we're going to, you know, and so, um, having that attitude, I think is probably the best way to help people reframe when something, because something will come up, right. It's, it's, I don't have x-ray vision. I can't see into your walls. I have no idea what will be in there. I, you know, even from our own experience, we knew there'd be something that would be weird. We just didn't know what it would be like. Is it going to be electrical? Is it going to be plumbing? Is it going to be structural? Is it going to be like, um, who was it that found, found something in the wall. I feel like it was on BS and beer when Mason was talking about his project and they took the old plaster off and there was like time capsules and weird stuff in the wall or a skeleton or I have decided though, that I think I'm going to start putting pretty good house stickers inside the walls during framing of my house for people to find like 20 years down the road. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Let me go into a remodel. I think that that's a great idea. That's, that's a fun, that's a fun find. I look forward to finding my first one. Yeah, there we go. It's going to be an Easter egg hunt, but don't start poking holes in people's walls because you're looking for my Easter eggs. There's no cash value to those stickers. Knock it off. (laughs) I do think that the, the takeaway there is the best projects, the best outcomes on the project are when people make the most of the opportunities. So you open something up, you saw something that wasn't great, you made a decision, well, it hasn't fallen down, we don't have to fix it, but it is an opportunity to fix it, let's fix it. And then the other takeaway for me would be the client and the contractor, and obviously in your case, the designer, architect, contractor, and owner, (laughs) uh, they have to remain flexible. You, You came in with the plan and you were ready to ride, but if you had been inflexible, and rigid about saving that built-in, 
you would have lost a lot of opportunity that now you've made the most of. You have the open concept that really serves the space better and you're gonna have the cool built in by the front door instead of a useless closet. So I think that you're getting the best possible outcome because of your flexibility and because you made the most of your opportunities. So I applaud you. I'm happy that your remodel is going well, even though it's way more than what was originally planned. It's going well is the way that I would describe it, even though it's not quite what was planned. It is going well. It's going to be a better project in the long run, even though it's more work than we anticipated doing at the time. It was more things than we maybe even wanted to do at the time. But it gave us the opportunity, like you said, to be flexible and open our minds and say, well, how would we really like if we if we could do whatever we wanted, what would we actually do? And that's um, that's some of what has kind of come together, which is what I would do normally with a project anyway. And I just didn't do in my own house Yeah, uh, until we were. Uh, into it and figured out like well you know we we can't salvage this like it can't stay and now what do we do and where do we put it you know we had this built in it had stuff that we would like to keep and you know I'm always build smaller but build everything that you need everything has a place and everything in its place right and so we had this closet that we put stuff in because it was there not because it needed to live there or like the vacuum cleaner doesn't need to live in the front hall closet like it can find six other homes. It just lived there because that's where it was. And like there were coats in that closet, but we actually have a coat rack inside our garage door, which is where we put all of our coats. So it was like the extra coats that we have that are seasonal, you know, if you've got, you know, two winter coats and two spring coats, you can put them in. Um, we actually have a hanging rod in our utility space that was meant exactly for that. And so it was like, you know, we've, we've got a couple of extra, you know, like job site coat that I don't wear to other things, you know, it, it, during the winter season, it lives on the coat rack inside the garage door. And then now it's warm. It doesn't need to live on the coat rack, you know? And so but even then, honestly, I probably don't need more than what lives on the coat rack anyway. So it's the opportunity to let go of things that maybe you don't wear too frequently or, you know, use it. But we needed the built-in for the stuff that we stored in that built-in that we actually do use and have and keep. And so we had to kind of recreate that. And it's, it's a much better plan, which ties everything together and it's going to be amazing when it's done. And I'm just realistic about the fact that it's going to take us longer to get it done than, than we anticipated. And we did discover uh, that there's press board as the subfloor over the plywood. And we had originally thought, Oh, we should take that up, but hey, it's 2021 and we went and looked at plywood subflooring and said, nope, we're not going <laughs> that, to do that. That's working great. It's $75 a sheet. I think I'm just fine with what I've got. We are going to find a different way to install the flooring that we need to put down as opposed to the traditional easiest way to do it, which would be to nail it down, which is not going to happen. (laughs) So 
Um, yeah. It's fine, but those are the decisions that you start to make when you say, okay, like, hey, we found this thing. It's not ideal, but it's going to be really expensive to take it out. Yeah. And then environmentally, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, do I really need to remove it? Like, do I really need to replace it with, you know, something that would be a superior material? Would I build with it new? No. Right. (laughs) But I have it and I don't want to, you know, kind of deal with all the other stuff. So yeah, squeeze every last bit out of it. Every last bit of life, use it up. And then when it's done, it's done. If If it has to go away, it has to. But right now it sounds like it doesn't need to. So squeeze that life out of it. It doesn't need to. And in fact, we would probably live with, uh, you know, some of the flooring we have. We've got bright red carpet, which is bold choice. Previous homeowner had bright red carpet. It was clearly put in not not too too long before we moved in. It's in great condition. (laughs) It was really dark when our living room wasn't open to the rest of the space. It's not so bad now. (laughs) How about that? A happy accident. A happy accident. So I did roll out a rug over top of it uh, to try to cut down on the amount of dark carpet. But <laughs> that rug is now covering the hole in the floor. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're nailing all the details. And I'm glad that I got to uh, get the, the whole chronology because I think that is helpful for people. And it's helpful for me because my projects aren't done here at my house. I've got things that We all have stories like that. So I think it's nice for your listeners to get to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in for season three of the podcast. If you want more information on the guests, check out the show notes. If you want to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, reach out emily at matramarch.com. You can find me on Instagram, matramarch, or on LinkedIn, Emily Matram. And you can find me on Thursday nights at the BS and Beer Show. So come join us live one week. Until then, stay nerdy.